Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the North American Construction Group earnings call for the third quarter ended September 30th, 2020. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following management's prepared remarks, there will be an opportunity for analysts, shareholders, and bondholders to ask questions. The media may monitor this call in listen-only mode. They are free to quote any member of management, but they are asked not to quote remarks from any other participant without the participant's permission. The company wishes to confirm that today's comments contain forward-looking information and that actual results could differ materially from a conclusion, forecast, or projection contained in that forward-looking information. Certain, materials, certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing conclusions or in making forecasts or projections that are reflected in the forward-looking information. Additional information about those material factors is contained in the company's most recent management discussion and analysis, analysis, which is available on CEDAR and EDGAR, as well as on the company's website at nacg.ca. I will now turn the conference over to Martin Farron, Chairman and CEO. Thanks, and a very good morning to everyone. As predicted last quarter, the site access restrictions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic again severely impacted our business activity during Q3. However, also as anticipated, the impact gradually lessened as the quarter went on, with September heavy machine operating hours being roughly double those achieved in May. Unfortunately, though, when we most needed some help from the weather, what we got was significantly above average summer rainfall for the second successive year. This led to far above normal fleet idle time and difficult operating conditions for our heaviest of equipments. The one-two punches of site access restrictions and very rainy weather, together with the change in accounting treatment for our share of new logistics, resulted in a 43% year-over-year decline in our Q3 revenues. Encouragingly, however, our sequential revenue was up by 33% compared to a 6% decline from Q2 to Q3 2019. This also supports our premise of a gradual recovery to pre-pandemic activity levels. Just as in Q2, our tight control of all costs again provided a nicely profitable quarter, demonstrating our ability to generate positive results in very negative operating circumstances. Indeed, adjusted EBITDA was only a shade less than achieved in Q3 2019, and both EBITDA and EPS for the year to date are above 2019 levels, despite considerably less revenue. Free cash flow is in line with our expectations as we built working capital and use sustaining capital in preparation for a busy winter season in the oil science. With that introduction, I will now hand over the call to uh, Joseph Lambert, our President and Chief Operating Officer, to take us through the safety and other operational highlights shown on slides 4 to 12. Jason Beanster, our CFO, will then cover financial highlights from slides 14 to 18, 
before I talk about our outlook for the remainder of 2020 and 2021 using slides 20 and 21. Over to you, Joe. Thanks, Martin. <clears throat> On slides in four and five, you'll find our safety performance highlights. While we have maintained a strong performance relative to industry averages, we have seen a slight uptick in our trailing 12-month injury frequency. Although we have some unusual events in the last 12 months, we never want to make excuses for safety and have several areas of renewed focus we're implementing to ensure we maintain the downward trend and focus on target zero. Safety is an area that we always want to maintain a chronic sense of unease to ward off complacency. I would also like to point out an important impending milestone in that we will be issuing our inaugural ESG report in Q1 2021. We are excited to have the opportunity to show our ESG accomplishments and demonstrate our future commitments. Subsequent to the inaugural report, we'll be expanding this quarterly slide deck to incorporate KPIs and focus areas of our maturing ESG plan. In the overview of Q3 on slide seven, I think the duck on the pond metaphor best describes our performance. Above the water, things look calm. Our Q3 numbers look to be a smooth transition between the highest impacts of the pandemic in Q2 to anticipate a Q4 demand increase and return to levels approaching normal by year end. But below the water level, the paddling feet of our operations teams pushed through a second consecutive summer of record rains while successfully implementing and integrating pandemic protocols in all areas of our business. Quickly adapting to change while maintaining commitment to safety and performance targets are characteristics that NHEG employees display daily. On slides eight through 12, we discuss our Q4 priorities, progress on diversification, and highlight several milestones achieved. While I'm not going to speak to the specifics on each slide, I would like to provide some additional color. On Q4 priorities, a safe and efficient closeout of the year is the obvious general plan, but more specifically, we want to ensure a smooth start to our recently awarded JV project with NUNA and making sure we get our fleet and operations set up for success ahead of the growing winter demand of our oil sands customers. On diversification, our success in winning both U.S. mine management contracts and opportunities with NUNA are exceeding expectations. The NACG corporate strategy for diversification is based on lowering capital intensity and gaining higher utilization of the smaller end of the fleet, which is uncommitted and underutilized in oil sands. With this diversification focus, we expect it to continue to meet our oil sands customer needs with high utilization of our large fleet, improve the utilization of smaller fleet outside of oil sands, and reduce the consolidated risk by having more customers and more commodity markets in geographic regions. For my final comments, I'd like to highlight with great pride the NACG achievement of key strategic milestones. The NUNA acquisition, the, the significant competitor fleet purchase, the ultra-class truck purchase, the vertical, vertical integration of equipment maintenance and component rebuilds with associated facility construction, and the award of the two U.S. mine management contracts and recent JV contract with NUNA have all achieved the synergies of financial results in line with or exceeding expectations. These achievements all occurred in the last 24 months and will continue to produce benefits long into the future. 
We continue to seek and see opportunity in our business. Our estimating team is busy, and we have many choices both independently and through partnerships to improve and expand on our success. On the surface and with the pandemic still impacting the world, we may look like we're just gliding along. But underneath and inside this bright and vibrant company, we're vigorously paddling towards our strategic objectives. With that, I've reached my limit of duck analogies, and I'll hand it over to Jason for our financials. Okay, thanks, Joe, and good morning, everyone. I'll start with our top line on slide 14. Revenue for the quarter of $94 million was more than $70 million below last year's Q3 as we continue to suffer the impacts of COVID-19, which were enhanced by the wet weather. As Martin and Joe outlined, our quarter was dominated by the site access issues and the wet weather in July and August. All said, revenue decreased by 43% from Q3 2019. But as with all comparisons now, what is more relevant is 2020 on a standalone basis. When just looking at this year, Q2 was down by 64% from Q1, but we bounced back here in Q3 being 33% up from Q2. The resiliency of the oil sands mines remains strong, and as the access restrictions ease, we will continue to see our productive operating hours increase. The NUNA group of companies has had less of a direct impact from the pandemic and posted a very strong quarter by essentially matching their record set in Q3 2019. Just to remind users of our financial statements, NUNA is not reported in revenue and therefore fluctuations in revenue, good or bad, are not driven by NUNA performance. Gross profit margin of 16.3% reflected a difficult operational quarter as mentioned. Difficult wet operating conditions in the summer months exasperated cost impacts of the necessary safety protocols now in place at all the mines we operate on. Furthermore, demobilization and mobilization costs had a noticeable impact on margins as we continue to reposition and optimize our commission fleet. All these factors were partially offset by continued discipline cost constraints in place during these customer-imposed reductions and the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, which I'll touch on later. <coughs> Included in gross profit margin was depreciation of 20.3% of revenue for the quarter. The depreciation percentage in Q3 is higher than our current run rate, primarily due to a higher proportion of larger equipment operated when compared to a typical three-month profile. Also contributing to, to the percentage increase was straight-line depreciation on certain fixed assets during a low revenue quarter. And due to haul road conditions, higher non-productive idle equipment hours which determine our depreciation expense. Direct general and administrative expenses in the quarter were $3.6 million, equivalent to 3.9% of revenue. This gross spending was consistent with Q2 2020, but reflects an improved percentage as our revenue rebounds. The 3.9% was achieved through cost, through cost reductions put in place early in the pandemic, which included mandated reduced work hours 
and the complete halt of all discretionary and non-essential spending. Adjusted EBITDA of $37.1 million was essentially equal to Q2 2019 under completely different circumstances. Adjusted earnings per share for the quarter of $0.26 was lower than Q2 2019 due to higher depreciation as mentioned, as well as a consistent tax rate this quarter, whereas last year benefited from a retroactive adjustment for a tax rate reduction. Higher depreciation and taxes were offset by interest as cash-related interest expense for the quarter of $4 million represented an average cost of debt of 3.6%. This is significantly down from last year's Q3 rate of 4.8% as we continue to benefit from both reductions in posted rates as well as competitive rates in equipment financing. We provide slide 15 again for clarity and as disclosed in detail in our financial statements, net income for the quarter includes $11 million of salary and wage subsidies received under the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy Program. These subsidies are presented with their correlated employee expenses in both project and equipment costs as well as general administrative expenses. As is well understood now, these subsidies reimburse us for a portion of the wages we pay and greatly aid our efforts in retaining our workforce. As noted in the slide, the program essentially reimbursed us for 20% of the all-in employee cost, which in turn allow us to maintain 20% of the headcount level we may have otherwise had to reduce either temporarily or permanently. From our perspective, the program has worked effectively and better positions us moving forward as we look to continue to ramp up activity levels. Moving to slide 16, I'll summarize our cash flow. Cash provided by operations of $26.3 million was produced by the business and properly reflects the cash generation of Q3. Working capital changes over the three months had a $24.6 million impact on our cash balance and temporarily drove our free cash flow negative for the quarter. The additional factor that impacted free cash flow was the accumulation of cash in our joint ventures, which we expect to collect on in Q4. Sustaining maintenance capital of $19.7 million remained constrained in the quarter and, was strictly, and strictly adhered to our revised capital plan we implemented in early Q2. The spending was exclusively dedicated to our heavy equipment fleet required for the upcoming busy winter season. Moving to our balance sheet on slide 17. Total liquidity of $124 million is on a pro forma basis, reflecting the credit facility extension that was signed on October 8th after the end of our quarter. As mentioned, working capital and joint venture cash impacted free cash flow and had the correlated effect of temporarily increasing our debt levels. On a trailing 12-month basis, our senior leverage ratio, as calculated by our credit facility, was 2.3 times and reflects what should be a peak given the working capital profile we expect for Q4. 
To close out on slide 18, I'll briefly touch on our current debt structure. Our credit facility makes up about half of our overall debt, and the three-year extension provides the stability and low-cost financing we require over the next three years. As the slide highlights, we don't have a required financing decision to make until Q4 2023. Our current run rate, being Q3 2020, at a cost of debt of 3.6%, and the amended agreement will not have a noticeable impact on this. And with those financial comments, I'll pass the call back to Martin. Thanks, Jason. And now to our outlook for Q4 in 2021. As always, our performance in the last quarter of a year hinges on how early the cold temperatures arrive so that we can start our winter work programs. Also, Nuna, after a very good Q3, will see their activity levels decline in Q4 on a seasonal basis. Therefore, the EBITDA range for the quarter is still quite wide, with the midpoint being around $35 million. As Jason mentioned, we do expect to generate most of our free cash flow for the year during Q4, which is normal for us, and much of this will likely go to lowering year-end debt. We're also introducing uh, ranges of financial outcomes for 2021. We're probably going to be one of the few companies to do that. And at this juncture, we expect the midpoints of the ranges for EBITDA and free cash flow to be around 15% and 40% higher than our anticipated numbers for full year 2020. This robust outlook is based upon our solid backlog and the numerous identified and actionable opportunities that we are pursuing. We are especially excited about our bid pipeline for diversifying work outside the oil science, either on infrastructure projects or other natural resource mine sites, which we are confident will propel us to meet or exceed our target of 40% non oil science EBIT by 2022. Our confidence was very recently bolstered by the award of a substantial construction project in relation to a gold mine in northern Ontario. That contract win also clearly emphasizes the value of our ownership stake and relationship with NUNA. The midpoint of our anticipated free cash flow range for 2021 equates to 15% of expected year-end 2020 debt and just over 20% of our current market capitalization. Therefore, debt reduction and share buybacks are likely to be high on our list of 2021 capital allocation priorities, as clearly shown on the uh, slide. To conclude on the topic of share buybacks, investors may have been surprised that we were not active with our NCIB in Q3. And there are two main reasons for that. Firstly, as explained above, we are a user of cash in Q3 for winter work preparations. And secondly, we have a hedge in place related to a portion of the shares issued in relation to the call of debentures early in the year. Should we sell the hedge in cash as we generate free cash flow in Q4 or in Q1 because we have that time available to us? The remaining balance of the uh, 2020 normal course issuer bid will be used up. With that, I'll now hand the call back to uh, Mariama, the operator, for the Q&A session. Thanks. Thank you.
to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. If you wish to withdraw your question, you can press the pound sign. Once you have completed your questions and would like to return to the queue, please press star 1. After a brief pause, we will begin the Q&A session. Your first question comes from Yuri Link with Canaccord Genuity. Your line is open. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Yuri. Good morning, Yuri. Um, Martin, just on the outlook, um, when when do you anticipate uh, that that activity levels in in the oil sands will reach uh, back to to pre-pandemic levels? Is that something you see potentially? happening in, in the fourth quarter or more mid mid next year? We're, we're hopeful that um, it'll be the fourth quarter, but obviously, uh, you know, the recent uptick in, in cases and second wave worries, et cetera, could push that out into, uh, you know, early in uh, 2021. But all indications are so far is that uh, it'll, it'll be late for Okay, um, and then in so in terms of guidance for for next year, your outlook um, 15% EBITDA growth at the midpoint. Um, should we be how should we be thinking about revenue? Should that be growing in excess of 15%, implying some slightly lower margins? Um, is that the way we should think about the top line? Jason, uh, you got the revenue numbers in front of you? Yeah, so yeah, I think that's a fair uh, correlation. Uh, one thing Yuri will have to do uh, is uh, disclose supplementally uh, revenue from our joint ventures. Uh, the goldmine contract that we announced uh, is expected to flow through equity earnings, so that won't show up in top line reported, but um, from a true revenue perspective, yeah, we don't expect uh, you know, differing margins uh, year over year, um, and so correlated 15% uh, full revenue is the right way to look at it. Okay, so kind of matching uh, re revenue matching this year, and then you'll get a pickup from the the gold contract, all else equal, through the uh, the JV line. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll leave it there at, the, at this point. Uh, thanks, guys, for the call. Thanks, Yuri. Your next question comes from Aaron McNeil with TD Securities. Your line is open. Hey, morning, guys. I've got a handful of questions on the gold project in North Ontario, and I guess it's broader implications. The first one, um, is the 50% North American, 50% NUNA joint venture sort of a special purpose relationship to this specific project, or do you intend to use this as a vehicle to bid on other projects as well? Joe, uh, you can take that. Yeah, Aaron, I, I, I think that structure actually provides great strength for us in a lot of, in a lot of bids, uh, in particular in this one where the clients saw both of us having uh, a significant amount of experience um, Nuna having a strong indigenous relationships and obviously our partner in the Katikmia. Um, but then we also brought the fleet capacity 
and uh, the balance sheet strength. So I, I think those characteristics of a partnership are going to work well for us in um, tendering work in, in that area of the, of the world and certainly in those resource areas in, of northern Canada. So I, I, I don't think this client's uh, view of that partnership strength is going to be unique at all. I think a lot of our, a lot of our client, potential clients in other resource areas in, in the northern parts of Canada will see it the same way. Okay, great. Martin, you mentioned the bid pipeline in your prepared remarks. So as it relates back to the gold project, was there anything about the gold project that made it a natural fit for North American? In general, what types of project scopes are you looking for? And how would you characterize the opportunity set, I guess, for this newly created joint venture um, for, for other projects? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're bidding uh, uh, independently uh, and also through the JV for projects that uh, involve uh, major earthworks. Uh, obviously, earthworks is uh, one of our core competencies. We're very good at it, so if we can find uh, major earthworks outside uh, the oil sands, it makes sense for us to to, to bid. So, uh, you know, we've got a pipeline of uh, potential opportunities, uh, other resources, uh, plus infrastructure projects. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a wide um, opportunity set, and I, I would say off the top of my head, right now there's more than a billion dollars worth of opportunity. Clearly, we're not going to get all of that, but uh, that just... Uh, puts a, a kind of um, a number two is the size of the opportunity. Okay. Um, you, you, that, that color is really helpful, actually. But you, um, my understanding is that you won't need to deploy additional capital for this project and that you're probably mobilizing some of the smaller pieces of your equipment fleet. But you've often said in your past remarks that you're at capacity for your equipment fleet uh, based on the project of oil sands uh, projects you already had in hand. So could you give us a sense of how you're going to supply this gold project with equipment and the types of equipment that the project will need? You know, as, as Joe mentioned in his commentary, uh, the equipment uh, we're going to deploy on the gold project is, is underutilized, uh, smaller equipment. So it's not going to detract from our uh, all sounds efforts. So we want to keep our customers happy there, clearly. So, you know, this is equipment we have in the fleet uh, and is underutilized, uh, certainly on a seasonal basis. And then we can send over there and uh, you know, get a reasonable return on it. So the the capital uh, required for the project is, is kind of modest. Okay. That's all from you guys. Congrats on the project award in the quarter. I'll turn it over. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks. Your next question comes from Max. Maxim Sachek with National Bank Financial. Financial, your line is open. Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Hey, Max. Um, maybe uh, I'll just start a couple of quick ones. Uh, um, uh, Jason, I don't know if, if you guys have actually quantified the the impact on revenue uh, lost uh, due to weather. I, I don't know if you have you know that particular uh, that um, potential ballpark handy. Well, when we look at the year-over-year -year decrease, you know, 70 million bucks, um, we think the lion's share of that, uh, outside the Nune impact of 10 million, uh, is is equally represented by COVID with the restrictions and uh, 
and then the wet weather in July and August. So that kind of impact, you know, north of $30 million, 30 to $40 million impact. Okay, so quite quite significant. And then uh, I guess what, what are you seeing, guys, on the ground right now? Um, you know, as kind of Q4 uh, ramps up, uh, what what's um, in in the update from from that perspective? Joe, I, I'm sorry, Max. In particular, to what in Q4? I didn't catch that. But uh, j- j- just the weather. Is there anything kind of unusual as uh, as you guys uh, resume, you know, the the activity levels? No, I, I, you know, I think. There's one thing we can count on in uh, in Alberta, and that it will freeze and get cold. <laughs> I don't think we've ever missed that in the winter. Um, you know, the, usually it's just the timing of that, Max. So generally we're, you know, freezing day and night by the first week or second week in November and through the end of March. Sometimes that's a couple weeks off one way or another, but usually that just moves revenue from Q4 into Q1 kind of thing. Um, so we don't... We don't expect anything unique about this winter. I think we're uh, we're well set up um, to, to perform the work, and we're looking at you know full utilization of our fleet. Okay, that's that's helpful. Thank you. Um, and then uh, maybe a question for for Martin. Um, I think in the past, um, you know, we discussed um, um, you know in a way potentially attacking. Um, uh, the the ore opportunity just uh, not dealing with the overburden. I mean, given all the pressure that we're seeing right now on on the producer side, um, Martin, do you think that that potential is it is it increasing decreasing? I mean, what's what's kind of your sense now, or or is it still a bit of a sort of a status quo dynamic where people are trying to sharpen the pencils on 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 this particular question? Yeah, I, I think it's status quo. Um, you know, obviously the the pandemic has stopped a lot of discussion on many topics, uh, you know, including that one. You know, I'm sure the, the operators are going to be looking to uh, uh, reduce their costs going forward. Clearly they are. You, you see it in their res- results uh, published already. So, uh, you know, I'm sure at a certain point uh, that would come up as a topic and we're ready to discuss it. So, uh, you know, but uh, I don't see it happening anytime soon. It's probably, uh, you know, medium a long-term opportunity. Right. And, and actually, I mean, speaking about uh, the client base, I mean, given the fact that we've seen, you know, increased amount of consolidation in, in the space, um, is, is there an opportunity to, to capture some incremental market share to, you know, work with some clients um, with whom previously you didn't have a relationship, maybe any commentary on that front? Yeah, I, 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 I think so. Um, you know, we, we, we haven't done much work for one or two of them uh, for a while because we've been capacity constrained, to be honest. So those, those constraints uh, are still there, but uh, we're always looking to, to do work for others if, if we can. So depending on capacity, we'll certainly uh, you know, look, to, uh, look to others for, for revenue opportunities. Okay, that's, that's great. And then the, the last question, just uh, wanted to circle back to the gold mining project. Is there anything specific that we should know in relation to Kind of you know the the margin profile, working capital um, uh, dynamics, um, or is it quite quite similar uh, the profile as uh, what what we see kind of on the core business? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know the margins are similar to what you see in our, our core business and uh, working capital. Uh, uh, we're actually getting uh, some. Uh, 
some payment up front, which is always nice to fund uh, mobilization activities and preparations. So the working capital profile is, uh, is also fine. Okay, excellent. That's it for me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Max. Your next question comes from Brian Fass with Raymond James. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good morning. Um, I was just looking for some color maybe on pricing concessions with customers. Um, are you seeing a plateau in the level of price, price concessions, or could you expect more? Uh, Jewel? I, I believe the plateau. I don't think we'll, we expect more. Um, I don't think uh, – and I think going forward, you're, there's normal escalators with uh, – with markets over time, so I, I, I think it'll actually improve over time, but uh, it, it's plateaued right now and expected to go down going forward. Okay, and then maybe just switching to guidance here. Uh, does the EBITDA guidance for the remainder of this year and next include uh, further wage subsidy benefits? Yeah, we, we're hoping to get some in, in Q4, but uh, Jason, uh, I don't think we've included any in uh, 2021, correct? Correct. Okay, thanks. That's it for me. Thank you, Brian. Your next question comes from Devin Schilling with PI Financial. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Good morning. Um, just yeah. just looking at your MSAs here, uh, I see the one is up for renewal this year. Uh, can you guys maybe provide a bit of commentary on if you're expecting this to be renewed or do you guys anticipate maybe relocating some of this equipment to another mine site uh, within the oil sands? Joe? I, I, I didn't hear the question very well, Devin. Would you mind saying it again? Yeah, I was just mentioning um, your guys' one MSA is coming up for renewal here. Uh, just looking to get some color on if you guys are anticipating this to be renewed or should we be expecting some of this equipment to be possibly relocated to another mine site within the oil sand? I, you know, as far as the uh, the ones that expire this year, they aren't active ones that we've been working on, and we have we've had no issue when winning work, even when we don't have an MSA, to getting uh, a new one regenerated. So, I, if if one expires, it would just be because we aren't active there at the time, and with uh, it won't prevent us from bidding on jobs we still get the rfps and as soon as we won one back on that site we would get a renewed msa um, oftentimes they'll renew them even when there isn't any work but sometimes they'll slip to where you to the next time you actually become active on the site does that answer what you're looking for there Devin? yeah yeah no that's very helpful thanks um that wraps it up for me again congrats on the recent contract win thank you Devin. Okay. As a reminder, it is star one on your telephone keypad if you would like to ask a question. Your next question comes from Richard Dearnley with Longport Partners. Your line is open. Uh, I'm, I'm confused as to how, why the, or first, how the newly formed joint venture with NUNA is different than the previous arrangement with NUNA. And then part two would be, uh, why was that necessary? Why wasn't the old structure uh, enough for the future? Yeah, so uh, 
the normal relationship uh, with uh, with Nuna is that we own 49% of the company, with the Katikmiad owning 51%. Mm-hmm. So, that, so they generally, you know, bid work and do it themselves, right? Um, here, uh, we attacked, a, you know, a bid and a project together. You know, we we combined to give the customer exactly what they wanted in terms of um, First Nations content plus expertise. So it made sense for us to, uh, you know, form this JV because uh, I think as Joe uh, mentioned earlier, we see further opportunities uh, for it in the future. So, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be providing uh, resources into this project, whereas normally we, we don't. Nuna provides all of it. So, uh, you know, it's just a natural uh, setup for you know, an effort which is pretty much 50-50. So is it fifty-fifty? Yeah, ish. Ish. Uh, so not quite. Uh, what's the first decimal place? <laughs> no, it, it's a fifty-fifty, uh, Richard. I see. So, so in so you're in this case, the difference then is the one percent of ownership plus you're bidding it together rather than getting called in if needed. Yeah, you know, so uh, we, our 50% uh, will come to us, and uh, we get uh, 49% of the other 50%, basically, uh, in simple terms, I think. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. That was a good question from you. <laughs> I'm just confused. Well, I hope I cleared it up a little bit for you. (laughs) Yep. There are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back over to the presenters. Well, thanks, uh, Mariana, and thanks, everybody, for uh, calling in today. Uh, We look forward to speaking to you next time. All the best. Thank you. This concludes the North American Construction Group conference call. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.